Thanks for tuning in to Why Life Science, a podcast produced by the BYU Life Science Museum at Brigham Young University. I'm Katie Knight. And I'm Austin Lambert. Our mission here at the Life Science Museum is to inspire wonder, understanding, and reverence for our evolving planet. So with this podcast, we are here to bring you stories and interviews about life science research and projects going on in the College of Life Sciences at BYU and in the local community. Visit our website, lsm.byu.edu, for more information and to access notes from each episode. Welcome to the Why Life Science podcast. Uh, Katie, we are in for a treat today. I'm excited. Well, we're joined with uh, Dr. Michael Whiting, the director of the Life Science Museum, and Dr. Steve Peck. Uh, and you're an evolutionary biologist. Yeah. Then let's jump in. We're, we're going to be talking about evolution, which we'll get into the, the twists and turns of what that might look like, especially here at BYU. But, but uh, what are we celebrating? Yeah, so what we are celebrating today um, and throughout this year is the fact that in the year 2022, we are officially 50 years into being able to teach evolution as a course which was approved by the Board of Trustees. And so I think what we want to talk about today is what has happened in those 50 years. And we might even jump back a little bit and, and, and talk about the story of evolution at BYU. This is a fascinating story because 110 years ago, there was a, a big uproar over evolution at BYU and how things have played out over the century plus has been just really quite remarkable to get us in the place where we, we are today. So in the past, it wasn't taught at BYU in the early 1900s, is that right? Early 1900s, there were individual faculty ah. who were talking about it and including portions of it in their courses, but there never was a course on the books called Evolutionary Biology until the 1970s. Okay. So let's move over to, to Steve Peck here and have him talk a little bit about what was happening around 1910, 1911. So th this was a, a controversial time countrywide. Evolution was starting to bubble up into the public discourse. It had been going on for a long time. Darwin published in, in 1858, and so from there, it was scientifically recognized as the best explanation for evolution. And uh, in 1910, 1911, there were professors at BYU teaching evolution. They were teaching uh, things that were... In, in the sort of public zeitgeist, there were people talking about about biblical criticism. And they, they weren't criticizing the Bible. It was a formal way of engaging with the Bible that involved modern techniques and things. And they, they hired a group of professors to come to BYU. And there was some pushback from some members of the BYU community and faculty and, and, and administrators. And... Uh, they began to be suspicious that evolution was something that maybe shouldn't be taught. And they decided to get rid of uh, some of these professors that were... So these were science professors teaching... Yeah, okay. and, and, and science professors and uh, biblical scholars, philosophers uh -huh. at the time. And, so, and, and, and in many ways, this was a microcosm, as Steve says, of what was going on across the nation. Right. Because yeah. at 1909, you're at the 100th 
birthday of Charles Darwin uh-huh. and the 50th anniversary of the publication of On the Origin of Species. So the timing here is not a coincidence. This was something which was part of the public discourse. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And when the students became aware that they were going to get rid of this, this teaching of evolution by, by getting rid of some of these professors, it's interesting that they wrote a letter to what was the equivalent of the Daily Universe then. It was called the Black and White. They had 80% of the student body sign this statement saying, please, let us be taught this. And there, I, I have to read this wow, statement. Yeah. This is great. They remind me of students today. I mean, students at BYU have always been brave, unafraid of truth, ready to face the things they're going to have to face in the world. I mean, I, I think of BYU as a microcosm for the things they're going to confront and the issues that they're going to confront. And so they w- reacted to this dismissal of evolution being taught, that, this great statement th- that they published. This is just a piece of it. It's much, it's much larger, but I think reflects our students today as well. As college men and women, we have confidence that if the evidences which tend to support the theory of evolution be presented simply for what they are worth, we will have sufficient discretion to determine whether or not we wish to accept them. Insofar as we have studied the subjects in question, we feel that we have broadened in what we have seen both sides of a mooted question. We believe that it is not the proper attitude to fight proposition by ruling it completely out of consideration. We feel that if our gospel is true, it will triumph over error without any artificial protection. We understand that it invites us to investigate anything that is praiseworthy or of good report. Hence, to prohibit the investigation of a scientific theory so well established as the theory of evolution is scarcely living up to our understanding of the gospel. Would it not be better to throw the question open to study and investigation if for no other reason than that we stand for fair play and toleration of the beliefs of all men? Is not this our missionary watchword? Wow. So the students trusted themselves to be able to discern truth and error and, and to teach us the best that's out there and, and let us decide. And I think that's, that's a great attitude. And yeah, I see that amazing. in my students today. Yeah, and you know, even with a hundred years have passed since then, but that's still a wonderful statement, which is very applicable from our students today, mm-hmm. dealing with the challenges which they face. Yep. The re- religious basis of being willing to search out the truth in all things and, and not trying to hide from things, but, but study things. And it's, I think BYU then learning by study and faith. Yep. That's how we can find the truth of all things. So what happened after the students send this to the newspaper? So uh, some of the, some of the uh, people were dismissed from BYU and they left and others, others just left because they felt like it was a hostile environment. They didn't feel like that they were being trusted and allowed to teach the things that they thought were so important. So the letter, letter didn't work is basically what No, okay. it didn't work, unfortunately. And so it disappeared. This, was, this, this letter was written in, uh, in 1911. A formal class of, on evolution wasn't taught until uh, 1972. Oh, wow. So, and there's a lot which happened in those intervening years. So mm-hmm. during 
about 1928 through 1931, there was a huge controversy which broke out over the subject of evolution, which involved the, the leaders of the church. And, and this included B.H. Roberts, who was uh, at the time in the presidency of the 70, Joseph Fielding Smith, who at the time was a junior member of uh, the Council of the Twelve, and then James E. Talmadge actually plays a role in it as well. And it's a fascinating history, and it's a great story, but it's not for today. <laughs> Other than to say, from 1911 to the 1970s, you've got about a 50-60 year period where I think it's fair to say that there was a real negative perception of evolution mm -hmm. and that evolution was seen as one of these ideas we have to keep out of BYU and to protect our students from. Yeah, exactly. Because they felt it threatened their faith or something. Is that the scare? I think that there's lots of answers okay. to that yeah. question <laughs> as to why. Yeah. And there were a lot of things that, that were going on. Um, but certainly, it left a legacy for many, many years, which was very difficult to overcome, to yeah. overcome the, this culture within the church that evolution is, is completely wrong and is a false doctrine, and we shouldn't even be talking about it. But then comes into the picture a remarkable young biologist by the name of Dwayne Jeffrey. And Steve is, is working on a biography of, he was a young man. I guess yeah. this all happens yeah. <laughs> to, to all of us. He's a bit older now. Yeah. But he's remarkable because he really is the pioneer. He is the one who stood up and said, no, we really need to teach evolution to our students. Yeah, yeah. He, I had classes from him, and he was on my committee when I got my master's degree, and I, I love him. Oh, did he really? He's such a great guy. Oh, yeah. he's such a big influence on me. I, I don't think I would be here today if it wasn't for him. Oh, wow. He, he came, from, came from Berkeley. He'd studied genetics there, and he, he arrived in 1969, and he and another, another biologist, another big influence, you probably know, Clayton White. Yeah. Clayton, Clayton White was one of the premier peregrine falcon experts in the world. He was, was working on the, uh, the demise of the peregrine falcon, following the links between DDT and uh, the thinning of the eggshells. That's a wonderful story, too. He and Dwayne Jeffries, who had just arrived, decided to put in a proposal for an evolution class. And this, this was unprecedented. Uh, even, even back in 1911, they didn't have a class on evolution. They were teaching evolution, but it, it wasn't a, a specific right. class. So this was a great course. And they were asked when the administration got the proposal, well, are, are there evolution classes elsewhere in the country? And they came back and, and found that there were 34 evolution classes at Harvard. And there were... <laughs> 38 from Kansas, Kansas State, and, and they, they, they continued to look at that, and they said, well, okay. And they, they added, teach the best course on evolution you can possibly teach. Mm. And so they were given permission to, to do that, and this was in uh, 1971 uh, that they went through this, but then the course started in 1972, 
it, we've got 50 years of this now. This yeah, is 50 years. Oh, yeah. 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 But we have always stuck true. So I've, I've taught evolutionary biology for 25 years now. First time I taught it, I team taught it with, with Dwayne Jeffrey. And, and those of us who have taught it have really worked hard to follow the admonition of the board of trustees mm-hmm. when this permission was first granted. And that is teach the best, most rigorous course in evolution that you can. Why did they want the best? They wanted to take BYU teaching the best possible courses of any kind. And if they're going to teach evolution, they wanted it taught right. And they wanted it to be a an outstanding course. Now, there was resistance. There was resistance on campus. There was a lot of misunderstanding. So uh, Dwayne Jeffries wrote this great paper called Cirrus Avant and uh, Evolution and, and Uncomfortable Interface. And he went back through and traced out this history that Mike was talking about, the history of the relationship between B.H. Roberts and Joseph Fielding Smith and where evolution was problematic in people's minds and how that evolved. And he also did a lot of rigorous work in seeing that the church had no official position. Uh, yeah. the, 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 the paper was controversial. He immediately took off on an NSF grant to Hawaii to get away from the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't blame the, the controversy. But uh, he was very influential trying to think when I took my first course from him. It was probably 83 or 84. I took evolution from him, also, also took some other classes for him. The thing that I remember the most that made it interesting, I got to BYU, I was anti-evolution as could be. Oh, I'd, wow. I'd been taught by my seminary teacher that dinosaurs weren't real. Yeah. This is in Moab, Utah. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> We were and we were surrounded by dinosaur bones, and I was really like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I got here very anti-evolution. Were you wanting to study science when you came here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In fact, I, I was intending to study anthropology, but I started taking the biology classes. I, I took some biology classes that just changed changed my life mm-hmm. um, from from lots of faculty, and Dwayne Jeffries, Clayton White a guy named Jared Hickman, and all of these people demonstrated to me that science and faith were completely compatible. And I, I think if I was at another university at that time, if I was presented with the beauty and the power that evolution brings to the explanation of life on Earth... I wonder what would have happened to me. But because I was surrounded by these people who believed in the church, and they were also also believed in science, it was a powerful thing for me. Sound like I'm talking about a conversion experience. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. it, it kind of is, though. <laughs> yeah. It sort of is. Now, the thing to remember here is that um, Dwayne Jeffrey publishes this paper in 1979. Actually, I, 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 I told you wrong. It was 1972. Oh, it 72. was that early, yeah. It was that early. It, it was, was that 72. early, yeah. So he's publishing this in 1972, and this begins a bit of this debate on campus. And I can remember this because it starts ramping up in the 70s, and then it becomes full-blown in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And so when I was here as an undergraduate in the, in the mid-1980s or so, I can remember this palpable discomfort 
between what I was hearing in my biology courses and what I was hearing in my religion courses. Yep. Right. So I, I recall taking Pearl of Great Price. I don't remember who the professor's name was, but it was very clear that his point of view was anybody who believes in evolution must be fully against the church, mm-hmm. right? You know, and he could read quotes, and there's lots of quotes, and many of these quotes come from this debate from 1928-1931 between B.H. Roberts and Joseph Fielding Smith and all the different personalities who became involved, right? So you go to your religion class, and you get your anti-evolution quotes, but then you would go to the science classes, and the professors there would pull out their favorite pro-evolution quotes from other general authorities. And so it almost became this battle of my general authority can beat up your general authority. <laughs> yep. Right? It's like, well, even that was, even though that was a positive quote, he was just a junior member of the Quorum oh, of the Twelve. Wow. And this other person who was more senior became a prophet later, so we can really believe this quote and not that quote. So there was a palpable discomfort on campus mm-hmm. over the subject of evolution. That's where I went through my undergraduate experience. And I recall students all around me, many of whom had been backed into a corner and had been forced to pick, to say, either you believe in the church or you believe in evolution, but you can't believe in both. And that had devastating consequences on many of my friends, on many students. Well, during the 1980s, there was a recognition that this was problematic, that there were so many statements out there which were so diametrically opposed that a proposal went into the first presidency to say, hey, we need to put together an official packet on statements. These are the only statements which can be considered to be official with the church. And so there was a series of four statements, one in 1909, one in 1910, one in 1925, and then finally a 1992 statement. The 1909 statement is the longest of all the statements and has a clear anti-evolutionary tone to it. It emphasizes that Adam was the first man among men upon the earth, and it emphasized the importance of the creation. The 1910 statement was incredibly short. It actually came out during a Christmas devotional. It's a very short statement. So what it says is that our religion is not hostile to real science. That which Mm -hmm. can be demonstrated, that which can be proven, we will fully embrace. 1925, we have the Scopes trial going on, and that was the famous trial in Tennessee as to whether we can be teaching evolution in public schools or not. They released another statement. The statement in 1925 was the exact same statement in 1909. I mean, they copied it. They plagiarized it from 1909, (laughs) except they got rid of all the anti-evolution stuff in it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So then, if you're studying this packet, you can compare. Oh, you can and compare and you can yeah. see it. And then finally, the 1992 statement, which was a statement which came out at the same time this packet came out, was a statement which put a more positive spin on evolution and basically said, leave evolution to the biologists. Let us focus on uh, our own things which are important to us within the realm of our own our own faith, our own theology. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the reason why I mention this is that teaching evolution at BYU 
as biologists, we were really good to stick to those statements. Mm-hmm. And the impact of this meant that we didn't have to deal with all of the off-the-wall statements that were out there, with the diversity of statements. It allowed yeah. us to focus on these four statements and spend time really analyzing them. And when you do that, what you recognize is there is room within those statements to believe in a God who used evolutionary processes to complete his work. Yep. Yep, exactly right. And I especially like the, the final piece of that, which was from the Encyclopedia of Mormonism. And it was carefully reviewed by the First Presidency. Because uh, this is the 1992? This is yeah, the 92 okay. statement. 92. Yeah. So this, to me, was sort of stamp on it's okay to do evolutionary biology. But it's very clear in that statement that it was written under the direction of the First Presidency because it references some minutes which were only available to the First Presidency at the time. I see. Mm -hmm. So we have these statements which come out, right? And these are actually really useful because that frees us up to teach evolutionary biology to spend just one lecture and say, hey, you know, it's actually okay to teach this at BYU. Now let's move in and let's, let's talk about the science. And once that happened, some new things began to happen. We started to build some specialty and some strength in evolutionary biology. And this occurs in the mid-1990s. So I was hired in 1997. Prior to to my hiring, a fellow named Keith Crandall was hired, who is an influential evolutionary biologist. And then we had a series of other evolutionary biologists who came in. We established the DNA sequencing center on campus, And this was a center which allows for the automated generation of sequence data. At the time, we were one of the first universities in the world which had access to this technology. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to leverage this technology with these new faculty to start landing grants. And we started landing NSF grant after NSF grant after NSF grant. In fact, I I was a program officer at NSF a few years later. And during this time period, there was a joke among the people who actually run these programs that every time they saw a proposal come from BYU, they knew there was going to be a giant sucking sound of money headed to program. (laughs) (laughs) And this, this was interesting because this came to the consternation of many of our colleagues who were looking at all this money coming to BYU to study evolutionary biology, (laughs) and they're looking at each other saying, you know, what's going on? Right. Well, what we did is we managed to develop an extraordinarily strong program in evolutionary biology with a level of productivity in terms of scholarship, which is not surpassed by any other place on campus. I've gone through and done some tabulations And during a a 25-year period, looking at just eight faculty members, we had well over 1,000 publications. We had more than $25 million come in on 86 different grants. And this was at a time when people were not receiving grants at BYU. And people were not having a lot of success. But we managed to rise up produce this program, but the best thing was 
the opportunities it provided to our students. Mm -hmm. So we were able to train a new generation of LDS evolutionary biologists who are faithful to the church and are impacting the science today. It's absolutely true. And in fact, that was a selling point. Keith Crandall, who, who you mentioned, used to get me to come here is like ah. this this is this is the happening place we've got a dna sequencer <laughs> it, was, it yeah. was like that was huge and it was demonstrable evidence that byu was a center of evolutionary science and it has been since and it's it, pretty remarkable if you think about how short a time it was that that evolution had been taught at byu mm -hmm. compared to other places right yeah, mm -hmm. yeah exactly I think there was a recognition that it was actually pretty useful to have evolutionary biologists on campus. So back in 2003, there was a fellow who started proclaiming to the press that the church could not possibly be true because the Book of Mormon predicts a certain DNA signature, which was not present at the time. And he said, I am like the modern-day Galileo. People are persecuting me. The church is persecuting me. But I have proven for once and for all that the church is wrong. Huh. I got involved with this early on. problem with this fellow was he was not trained in evolutionary biology. And he did not know how to interpret DNA data. And the claims that he was making was not supported by the science. And so I think my famous news quote from that time period was that, you know, the difference between so-and-so and Galileo was Galileo was a really good scientist. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it took evolutionary biologists to actually write the response to criticisms of the Book of Mormon based on DNA, because that's in the purview of what we study. And so it was evolution that actually defended the Book of Mormon. Yeah, for the first time That's ever, awesome. yeah. evolutionary biologists became a useful thing for the church, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? We're, we're doing more than just collecting bugs, and we're doing more than just exploring the world, and all those things are important. But we are using our knowledge combined with our faith to address these really important questions. So yeah. do you think that there was ever a time where the scientific community was skeptical of the study of evolution at a religious university and, and the quality of science that might be coming from that type of program? I think they were until we started receiving all the grants and started mm -hmm. until they started seeing our students at meetings. So early on, I would go to the Entomological Society of America and I would bring anywhere from six to a dozen students, and they would kind of walk behind me, and they would present one after another. And it was really funny because, you know, a lot of them were in, like, white shirts and ties. So it became, <laughs> oh, here comes Mike <laughs> and his evolution missionaries. missionaries behind him. Right? It almost became a joke. But very quickly, we started winning the awards. We started winning the grants. We started publishing the papers. And now... BYU is recognized as a very serious place to come and study evolution. So we recruit graduate students from all over the world, many of whom are not LDS, but are willing to come to BYU because of the quality of our program. Yeah, on the topic of recognizing that BYU is an evolutionary powerhouse, I, I've got to talk about 
Mike because I'm not sure he's going to mention this, but one of his landmark papers was published in Nature, which is the premier journal in science, the. I'm not even going to qualify that at all. And uh, he had done work on stick insects in, uh, where was it, Papua New Guinea? Well, just from all over the world. All over the world? Yeah, all over the world. And he, he had this revolutionary realization about the evolution of these insects. And it made the cover of nature, which is huge. We'll it's, use it as the thumbnail for we'll this. We'll use it as a thumbnail. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah. But that demonstrated to people that at BYU, this was a very serious and important powerhouse of evolutionary thinking. So, yeah. Way to go. That's awesome. Well, well, yeah, thank you. But, you know, but part of it is because BYU has done such a fine job of supporting us and supporting the program. I've been, I've right. been grateful for the resources we have here at the museum, and that's come from generous donors and f- through the generosity of the, the BYU administration and the church. But they really have allowed us to do remarkable things. So one of the things that we do with our students is when they're seniors, before they graduate, they're required to take an exam which is administered nationally, which measures the quality of their undergraduate education, right? And so students will take it and then they'll have some score related to molecular biology and some score related to how well do you know DNA? Well, there's a section on evolution. Our students consistently outperform the majority of universities in the United States when it comes to evolutionary biology. So, you know, sometimes early on, there was sort of this notion during the 80s that, okay, yeah, we're teaching evolution at BYU, but the reason why we're doing it is we have to do it to be accredited, but the people who are teaching it are either misguided or they're kind of doing it tongue-in-cheek. Like, yeah, I'm going to teach evolution, but wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We don't really believe it here, right? But that's not true at all. We have a quality program which has produced incredible results. It sounds like it maybe came from that admonition to teach the best course on yeah, evolution. Best course. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. can. Yeah. If we sort of back up a little bit now and, and look at this from big picture, here we are talking about a series of events starting in 1911 running to 2022, 110 years. How is it that we came from a place where evolution was mistrusted and people were let go from the university for teaching it to a place where our students have found a way to reconcile their faith with this scientific discipline and excel in that scientific discipline. Because for me, this is the real take-home lesson from evolution. It's great that we've had success within our own field. But in many ways, I think what this does is this lays out a pattern for how we can deal with controversial and difficult issues right now, which are at BYU. Other than evolution. Other than evolution. Mm -hmm. So 1970s, 1980s, evolution was it. Evolution is not it at BYU anymore. There are other controversies, other concerns that our BYU students are just as passionate about as they were about evolution even back in 1911. And so what I take away from this, and, and, you know, Steve can chime in on this, is, you know, a couple of things happened. First of all, we were given the freedom and the space to teach the very best science that we could teach. 
Secondly, we provided a safe area where students could come in and address the concerns at this uncomfortable interface between science and theology. And we were able to do it in an atmosphere of faith being so unique here at BYU. Mm -hmm. And I think that those two things, being true to the actual discipline, being true to the science, and then providing an opportunity for faithful people to lead discussions at the interface is critical and is something which is so necessary with all of the controversies we have on campus today. I, I completely agree. I think this statement from the student continued. I just want to read this bit. It's, it's, we are convinced that nothing can be gained by excluding these subjects from our college since every man and woman who goes east or west to the colleges of high rank must face these questions. We believe that we should provide for him, not using exclusive language here, but provide him to meet them here under circumstances that will assist him in making for sane, conservative, and logical adjustment. What they recognized was that BYU can't be a place where we hide from the discussions that are going on in the, in the larger world, that we can't resist looking at hard questions. This is the place to do that. This is what I found coming here. And I, I, I became impassioned thinking about the interface between our faith and the sciences and what that means and how that can be ne- negotiated and navigated. And I think we do our students a disservice if we don't take the, the students' example from, from 1911 where they said, teach us the best. And this is where this best course comes in. Teach us the best that we can confront. And for me, having people like Dwayne Jeffries and Clayton White and, and Jared Hickman were critical to my becoming a, a scientist who had faith in the church and in the gospel. And these sorts of things, I think, are the fuller potential of, of BYU. BYU doesn't have to be just a safe space of by excluding things from the world we're afraid of. It becomes a safe place because we explore it in depth in a faithful institution. I love that. This has been so inspiring. <laughs> Is there more to the history? Of- oh, there, there's so much more. <laughs> and there's so much more we can talk about, but, but I think we're, we're kind of running out of time here. Let me just follow up with, with Steve's comments as well, that those of us who are here at BYU, we are seriously committed to helping our students deal with difficult issues. Mm-hmm. And the way to deal with the issues is not to stop talking about it on campus and not allow us to engage with it. The way to do it is to provide a safe space to explore ideas. When I started teaching evolution um, at BYU, I, I figured, you know, a good 30% of my class had serious problems in how to reconcile this with their faith. Now as I teach it, it's down to maybe 5%. Oh, wow. And so these are real changes yeah. which occur in the lives of people. There used to be lots of people leaving the church over the subject of evolution. There are very few people who are leaving it on that subject. 
it's a wonderful story. And as I say, there's, there's so much more we can talk about. We're going to continue to celebrate this 50 years of teaching evolution Yeah, tell us about what we can look forward to. Well, so what we can look forward to is on November 17th, the museum will be hosting as our Tanner lecturer, Dr. Richard Potts, who is a internationally known researcher who studies human origins. He's currently the head at the Smithsonian Institution of the Human Origins Program. He's the one who is the curator of their collection there. And he's going to be coming to BYU to tell us more about recent research into this wonderful, wonderful biological heritage which all of us share. Wow. And so it's going to be, it's going to be a fascinating time. We have a series of um, other lectures which are planned, and we have activities which are planned. We're very excited about, about this. Well, thank you so much. And, and is there anything, anything else that you want to add or any recommendations for people if they're looking to, to study or, or learn and find answers to these hard questions? Come to the Bean Life Science Museum. See our display on human evolution. If you like it... Then look at a map on campus to find the Life Science Building and go down to the second floor and you will see a more detailed, more thorough display on human evolution. That's a wonderful place to start. I've written a book on faith and evolution too. It was published by the Maxwell Institute for the Study of Religion. and So it's called Evolving Faith. I go over these issues and... Some technical detail and some fun detail. So it's uh, it's another resource. Those are great resources. I'll list um, both of those on our show notes. So if people listen to this, they can have access to those resources. Well, thank right. you so much. Thank you. Fun to be here. Thank you yeah, so really much. Really fun to thank be here. Thank you.